GM friends and welcome. It's time for another episode of Tokenomics and what an exciting episode today. Uh, We have a true pioneer and leader in the blockchain gaming space, Sebastian Bourget, COO of Sandbox and president of the Blockchain Gaming Alliance, and not just a crypto degen, but someone with a very long and successful history in the mobile free-to-play space. Uh, Welcome, Sebastian. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here with you all. The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle, and it helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales, or go to the link in the podcast description below. Great. Um, So could you start uh, by giving us just a brief introduction into yourself and your history in the games industry? Well, I'm 37 years old. I'm the CEO and co-founder at The Sandbox. I've been an entrepreneur for... Uh, well, already 15 years uh, together with my business partner, Archer Madrid, we co-founded three companies, always in the space of uh, new technologies. The first one in peer-to-peer, the second into user-generated content and uh, streaming and sharing in the cloud of photo, video and, video and music files. And the third one into a mobile free-to-play game. We started uh, Pixel Game Studio back in 2000. Um, 2011 already. Uh, we were one of the first free-to-play game studio, and also working with IPs. I remember working on uh, games with Garfield, with Adam Family, with Snoopy, uh, with Goosebumps, and more recently, uh, and as well the Sandbox franchise that started on mobile back in 2012. And now today, uh, it's been a little bit over four years now that we've been uh, one of the first. Uh, blockchain gaming um, platform and, and a pioneer in Web3. I've also been uh, involved as a president of the Blockchain Game Alliance for close to two years. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it as well. Yeah, I actually, I had to check my email real quick. Uh, in 2015, I found back when I was consultant, uh, I talked to, uh, I had an email chain with you and Arthur about the Garfield game. Um, but I don't think I was ever able to sign you as a client, unfortunately. Uh, yes, we we were. That's the proof, um, you know. Like, like everyone, I've seen us before, and uh... yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'd, I'd love to start with Pixel because unlike most who were early in the Web three gaming space, Sandbox team is really unique in having this deep history in free to play and mobile games and game creation. 
Um, so it sounded like uh, Pixel was your and Arthur's third startup. Um, tell me a little bit about the founding of that and what uh, what pushed you two into games after your other two uh, startup attempts. Well, uh, it really coincided at um, the time where like uh, the first Android phone and uh, iPhone came out. And what we saw at that time was essentially like we could create games again with small teams. So that's something I always wanted to do video games, but I saw how uh, hard it was like for someone to enter that market. You need like multi-million production budget, specific hardware, uh, very talented uh, resource that are scarce uh, to participate and be involved in the process of like publishing uh, on, on PC or console were like incredibly hard. So what smartphone uh, Google and, and Apple did were like to put back into the end of almost uh, any developer the capability to make their own game just with a single guy or two people team it was amazing. I knew that, what, that wouldn't last necessarily for too long, but I saw that window of opportunity. And that we decided that was the right time to enter the market, to be a pioneer. I, I feel like we've been kind of pioneers quite often. It's a pattern, you know. Um, mm -hmm. and to start making our own game. But we, we find like, rather than just ourselves making game, or like programmers, people who have like a certain background in, in development or art and other skills, why don't we enable just anyone to be a creator? And that was actually the, the genesis of Sandbox, like being able to create game just by touching uh, the, the smartphone with your finger dropping pixels, adding all sorts of elements and sharing those creations in a gallery for others to enjoy. I was exciting and that really defined the mission uh, for, for us. That's funny that um, it's very similar to why I got into uh, first Facebook gaming and then mobile gaming was my first job was on a big console team. You know, I was a, a production intern. I, I got dinners for people and like regressed bugs and did QA and did the lowest level jobs on probably an 80 person or more team at the time. And I remember thinking, uh, if I want to have the type of impact on a game that I want to have, it's going to be years before like I'm anyone who's doing more than just grunt work. And that's what pushed me into the opportunity that, um, Facebook gaming and, and mobile gaming had because I wanted to work on a smaller team um, where I could more feel my impact. Um, Sandbox, the first version of Sandbox, you know, people, if they're listening and only know about the uh, uh, massive hit Web3 Sandbox game, they might not know about the mobile game, uh, which I want to say did over 40 million downloads in its lifetime. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the original mobile sandbox and the sort of success you saw with that game? Oh, uh, yes. Um, did you know that originally sandbox, it's, it was one game or congregate platform in Flash where you could play with just a periodic um, oh, wow. yeah. elements table. It was made by one creator, Onimatrix, in Argentina. And we, we really enjoyed the fact you could play with physics, but we wanted to make it much more casual and use all sorts of elements. We brought it to mobile first by using touchscreen as the main gameplay mechanic. And uh, we had over 50, 60 updates of the first one, allowing people to add game characters, platform, doors, enemies, and share that to create all sorts of gameplay, or even like painting pixel art, creating music, playing with uh, 
electronics, and so on. We launched a sequel to it in 2016 after like improving the graphic, making the worlds bigger, and even more gameplay logic. And uh, continuing on that success, we, our company, Pixel, has been acquired in 2018 by Animoca Brand Studio, a larger company out of Hong Kong, which was also doing like mobile game with IPs and was starting to look at blockchain. So did we in 2017. We explored, always had this like curious high, like let's look at new technologies, understand and see the potential they have to be applied in gaming. And there was one thing that, despite the success of Sandbox, got us very frustrated. You see, we saw like Minecraft being acquired for $2 billion by Microsoft. We saw Grotopia being acquired mm-hmm. for $65 million by Ubisoft. Somehow we felt like what was missing to Sandbox. And the thing that we felt was missing the most was two, uh, three essential things. One, the lack of multiplayer. We always concentrated ourselves on single player game. Second, the lack of uh, 3D, like uh, on mobile 2D game were kind of like a declining market and 3D was more of the norm using Unity as a technology and uh, being more fun already. And third was the fact that even if people were passionate about like creating their own content in Sandbox, after a while our top creator were leaving the platform and we had literally no way to reward mm those creators for the content they brought, content that attracted more users and contributed to the monetization of the game. So somehow, um, there was the gap that other platforms were able to reward their creator and we weren't, and we were in a way like losing our top talent over time. When we found about blockchain, uh, actually we found uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, and then we covered CryptoKitties, the first uh, blockchain-based game that use NFTs. And that, honestly, that game had nothing special. Graphically, it's just like a game where you breed virtual cats, the cats are in 2D, there's nothing fancy. There were two very powerful things that struggled. The first one was the fact that you were actually buying uh, virtual cats, not from the developer itself, but you were buying them from other players, which is what something really new like you've been in video game for over a decade probably and you know Mm -hmm. it's impossible like the kind of thing like it's considered a gray market or black market to be able to buy content yeah and even more like the fact you buy those content from other player not on the marketplace from uh crypto but on OpenSea, a sort of like ebay of uh, game digital assets outside of the game. We say, wow, that's fantastic. That's the solution that to our problem. If anyone could create their NFTs, use them with a game maker and sell them the way they want on the marketplace or use it the way they want in the game or outside of the game, that could solve the, some of our challenges. And that's when we decided, let's build a new version of Sandbox from scratch using um, blockchain, 3D, multiplayer, and um, that's what we've been doing for over four years now. And progressively, uh, over time, yeah, I've grown uh, it into uh, what it is today, a platform with over 4 million users uh, registered with a wallet uh, of more than 400 brands, more than 200,000 monthly active users this month, and um, 22, 23,000 landowners as well. That's um, that's really interesting. That actually kind of answers one of the questions 
that I had because, you know, I remember when CryptoKitties blew up and I was a crypto skeptic for a very long time, right? So when, when CryptoKitties blew up, I was like all my other peers and all the people who probably told you you were making a bad choice, which was, I just thought it was dumb. I thought it was a big, slow, dumb database and a bad game and I didn't see the potential at all. And it sounds like the difference between uh, me and you at that time was you saw a solution to a problem you were having with your player base, right? Which was, how do we retain our creator? So it was, you know, I, I haven't worked in anything with UGC, right? The, the problems that we were trying to solve on mobile free-to-play with Legendary at that time were probably, how can we run more events? How can we get high you know more ltv and retain our players and lower marketing costs right so none of that i couldn't look at blockchain and think it was a solution mm -hmm. for any of those problems and you were having a challenge uh which was why do people keep creating in roblox and keep creating in minecraft but they stop creating in sandbox and blockchain was a solution to that that's so that's a that's amazing i think it's a great uh, coincidence you know what i like there's no brilliant idea. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of like good timing, good execution, uh, and the experience. The fact that we were so close to our creator on a daily basis, I was talking to our, to them mm -hmm. and so on. Um, but believe me, you were not the, the only one that didn't trust. Like <laughs> when we started, it took us over a year, a year and a half to do our first seed round. Like everyone was thinking, but what if like you get uh, Mine you, Minecraft added NFT on top of it. Wouldn't they succeed and, and blow the rest of the market? People didn't understood that you had to build by design and from the ground up that platform. Because if you just add the technology to it, to an economy, a virtual economy with, uh, which is inflationary, with unlimited supply of digital assets, etc., it breaks the value of the whole system you're trying to enable people. To, to be benefiting from. Yeah. You you also mentioned that around the time that you pivoted to crypto, you were also acquired by Animoca Brands, um, which alongside the success of Sandbox has become an absolute juggernaut in the Web3 gaming space. I feel like there's a race between maybe them and Griffin Gaming Partners and A16Z to invest in every single Web3 gaming startup of note. Um but I'm curious, uh, back uh, when you were acquired, what convinced you that Animoca Brands was the right home for your team and your IP and where you wanted to take the company going forward? Well, it's exactly like you said. Uh, at the, back in 2017-18, we were just a couple handful companies that were like looking at NFTs and interested by it. And coincidentally, like I've been talking to Animoca brands for many years before we were sharing news on what we were doing. And the fact that suddenly both of us were interested in working with NFTs, they became the Chinese publisher for CryptoKitties. And they say, oh, our strategy is to create more and more blockchain games first uh, and progressively evolve into like an investor into the space with the idea that let's grow this ecosystem together. I felt it makes sense. Like. Joining a bigger company that have experience and more revenue than us and access to a market. We never succeeded into breaking through uh, China, Korea, Japan market. As mobile game market, you know, they are like in the top five. We were very focused on US on our side. And 
Yeah. Um, but leveraging this new ecosystem together felt and having access to the resource and then more, we felt like it was a good timing. And as entrepreneur, we could learn a lot from uh, um, joining forces and, and learning from someone who's been even more successful. Because by then, Animal Care Brands valuation was probably in the region of a hundred million dollar as a listed company. We, we got acquired for $5 million, if I remember correctly. So we're still rather small by all metrics and all means. Um, fast forward, of course, was a great choice. Today, Animoca brand is worth uh, $6 billion. They have invested in over 400 companies. Yeah. And Box is uh, definitely one of their leading uh, participation, but not the only one. They have like Infinity, OpenSea, and uh, many other significant that help. They help as a VC now, like a 10 cent of blockchain gaming, to pave the way of the ecosystem, grow it, while we focus on like, let's build the virtual world that benefits all and grow the creator economy as a whole. For those that aren't familiar, um, or maybe only kind of know the sandbox as something like Roblox, but with blockchain, um, could you describe the game and the experience and its various components? Because it's not just the game, it's the creator tools, it's the marketplace, it's the land sales, it's the token, it's the community. You know, it's, Sandbox is, is a, a, a pretty big uh, product overall. So could you describe it for those in the uh, listening who might not it's be great, too familiar? Great question. Like, it used to be a mobile game. And it became a whole platform with a 3D uh, creation tool called VoxEdit that allows you to make uh, 3D pixel voxel and also animate that content. A marketplace where you can turn your creation into an NFTs and sell them. A map which serves as like the entry point, the discovery point. You find experiences on a land, land that you monetize and have like virtual neighborhoods. A game maker that is no code where you can um, essentially play, uh, create and play by a drag and dropping asset and using behaviors and, and then create really easily all sorts of experiences beyond gaming and a, a game client, which you use to access with your avatar those experiences. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, this decentralized platform is uh, contributing to build this concept of open metaverse where uh, users can access with an avatar to like a myriad of um, experiences that are social, uh, immersive, fun, and uh, can be games, but much beyond uh, virtual concerts, virtual shows, art galleries, museums, etc. Uh, you'll be amazed by the diversity of content you can find in Sandbox already. Yeah. Um, and so uh, content creators, um, what types of content can they make and how can they be compensated for their contributions to the sandbox ecosystem? So we have two categories of uh, creator. We have the artist who makes the 3D asset, the, the, the characters, the buildings, the decoration, the enemies, and so on that populate the experiences. And then we have like the uh, builders or architects who create those environments, those spaces, uh, add the gamification, the stories, etc., where uh, you play the asset and you play. Um, 
what's essential in Sandbox is it's designed right from the beginning to be um, like user-centric and community-driven. So the value uh, that's being generated by those creators returns essentially back to them. And when I say essentially, it's not like uh, 70% or 50 or 70% like other platforms. Or tw- 26.5% well, on Roblox. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. You do the math because the exchange rate of the buyer and seller is very different. This is the typical example of like a centralized platform that defines the price, the currency, and how much creators can earn. Uh, and we don't want to be that. We don't want to do that. We provide 95% of the revenue directly back to the creator. So when someone buys an asset for 100, 95 goes straight to um, uh, the original creator. And then they can reinvest that on the platform for their own marketing or keep that as their own revenue as they wish. Yeah, that's, I, you know, it's it's funny. I keep a, a pretty close eye on, on the Web3 gaming industry and on the industry in general. And I actually didn't know that 95% stat. And I feel like that would be, if I was right now considering building in Roblox or building in Core or building in um, uh, one of the other competitors, you know, knowing that uh, 95% take rate you know, that's a pretty compelling argument for why I should be making uh, little experiences in the sandbox and, and not uh, on those other metaverse It definitely platforms. is. There's just um, one thing we're uh, kind of missing or, or we always strive to work on is like the financial incentive is great, but we don't forget about the fun and how we make people more creative. So we are constantly updating our game maker. So the capability, the kind of game you can do or the kind of experience you can do is on par with the older game creator that exists now for over a decade. Once we reach that level, I feel like the choice will be really, like there will be no more reason to give up so much of the value you generate, your hard work back to the platform. Who are um, some of your favorite creators on the Sandbox platform so far, or favorite experiences you've had that have been generated uh, by the community and not by the developers themselves? Yes, like uh, we, we're very lucky to have a very uh, 10 of thousands of artists on the platform and already 200, a little bit over 200 builder studio. Earlier this year, there were maybe 10, 20, so it's growing fast. And I love the work that some studio like uh, Nabia uh, in France or Index Game in Hong Kong or Fat Bros in Korea are doing. Like they've done very, um, and they were not programmers before. They never did video games of their life. And now they are like top creator studio working with the largest brands. Um, if I take a studio like uh, Paris Shanghai, they built uh, the Smurf experience that you can try right now in Sandbox. You have um, it's quite interesting now, like in the season three of Sandbox, you can see even like, um, Atari made a comeback and you can play Crystal Castle or, and some of the classical in Sandbox. You have like the rabbits from Ubisoft. So you have core gaming audience and core, uh, gaming brands that are already starting to build, uh, with external studio experiences. But we also have like, uh, builder studio who work with uh, like music artists uh, and typically Nabia created the, the land for Avenged Sevenfold, which is a music group. And we also have like the land of um, Steve Aoki Playhouse. That's amazing. I love that experience. 
the Denmark experience, very cool too. Uh, Warner Music and Sueco and so on. There's a lot to explore. It's hard to keep a list, right? Now, but uh, it's a good thing, probably. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good problem to have. And and speaking of the brands, it seems like brand collaboration has been a big driver and part of your marketing strategy for land. Um, my tastes are a little niche, so when there was, you know, maybe not the biggest name for uh, name recognition for people in the audience, but when uh, Dead Mouse. When there was the Dead Mouse Land sale, it was also yep. Richie Houghton, who uh, yeah. record is one of the like legends of techno. I have you know two twenty year box sets from Plastic Ooh. Man on his uh, on my bookshelf right off camera. Like I'm a huge fan, and I tried to scoop in and, and buy uh, land next to Richie's parcel, but I couldn't. The, those land sales at the time they were selling out in like four seconds. It seemed like. I uh, I tried a couple times and couldn't couldn't get right. anything. But, well, first it's great that you are a collector in your DNA, and I think like everyone is, and that's why also like intrinsically like NFTs and collectible work well as like, collectible digital assets. Uh, we are passion by uh, brands. Like we love that they bring like characters, stories, content, a great material that are needed to build like compelling, engaging experiences and expand them for the first time even offer them to user-generated content, allowing the community to create. For the first time, Walking Dead by Skybound uh, and Robert Kickman uh, enable the fans to create their own stories and adventure using the official characters assembled. For the first time, you could play with rabbits and create your own game, or uh, Smurf as well, and we launch a, a game jam where you can create a game jam with Deadmau. You could create your own Deadmau experience and so on. Very excited by the like being the prime platform where brands open themselves to UGC and to this uh, NFT culture as well. The second thing is like, well, we have brands in our DNA for over 10 years. We understood even very early on in mobile gaming that, uh, and you could see that in the list of top grossing titles, that brands played a very important role for the user acquisition, for the marketing, and also for the content. Again, people like the character, the story, and they want to play with their favorite characters. And we just replicated that model into Sandbox, uh, the, the new blockchain-based version. And also, ultimately, I feel like um, it has been exacerbated by uh, the pandemic. Fans, specifically in music, in fashion, in lifestyle, they are looking at new ways to connect with their favorite brand. They want more meaning than just like a social feed on Instagram or TikTok where everyone receives the same content. You don't get close to your artists. You don't co-create with them and so on. And that's what um, the value proposition that one of the value propositions that Sandbox offers to the fans around the world. For the first time, you can visit Snoop Dogg uh, Mansion from wherever you are. On the first time, you can play as Snoop Dogg and yeah. across the metaverse and be dressed like him and uh, and so on. Mm -hmm. And watch a Snoop Dogg video that was filmed entirely in that's, sandbox. That's great. That, of custom indeed, tracks, that's, right? that's part of like this transmedia. Like it's going in and out the sandbox as well, and it's becoming part of culture as well. Something that we, we find very exciting. Has it become easier to sign these brand collaborations over time? I have to imagine that similar to when you started the fundraising process for uh, this as a blockchain venture and you were a pioneer and so early, it was probably pretty hard to 
I think you said it took a year and a half to convince people to fund it. Um, I have to imagine that um, signing those brands who are very protective of their image has gotten easier over time as you've been able to show uh, the success that their participation in owning land parcels and land sales has had. Believe it or not, but the first time, the first brand we brought on board, they were like Smurf, Care Bears, and The Walking Dead. It took us over a year to convince Mm -hmm. them of like what we are building, explaining them what NFT was, etc., and still, we had 10 years of experience working with brands. They saw that how serious we were to integrate the characters, the stories, the attention we put to the graphics and so on. And they're all respecting the amazing content they made. Um, and then came towards uh, 2020, the people first NFT sale, the sudden like growth of NFTs. And somehow bomb- brands got bombarded everywhere like a lot of projects a lot of uh, proposition to be involved with nft here and there became even confusing for them like what should we do what is really meaningful and valuable Um, the smartest brand they built team they had it like chief metaverse officer head of nft head of web3 to strategize more and so that kind of slowed down a little bit at that time the, the the collaboration until like they they looked at the landscape holistically, they see like the opportunity that makes sense, and they see like the metaverse and sandbox part of it was like a compelling value proposition in terms of like engagement of uh, like uh, co-creativity, user-generated content, and from there like we've grown sandbox to more than four hundred brands globally. So you have not just brands from US or Europe, but also from Korea, from Japan, from Hong Kong from Turkey, from Dubai, and other regions of the world, which is really unique. I don't know any other place in the world where you have those characters that you can mix and remix into your own land, publish. It's almost like the modern Disney, except it's not just the Disney character. It's all the content from various brands and the community itself that you can play with and you find in one world. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, Sandbox, I, I believe you're nearing the end of Alpha Season 3 right now. Um, can you share some of the uh, stats on how the various, uh, how this season or past seasons have performed? Because I think uh, people will be surprised by how many players, how much engagement there is uh, with the Sandbox. Right Absolutely. Now. So Season 3, just to give a perspective, it's an event uh, that lasts 10 weeks. It started in a... Um, it started a... Uh, even for the start, but it started uh, around uh, August 24th, yes, and it's finishing on November 2nd. And once it's done, like keep in mind, Sandbox platform is not yet open at all time. So it's alpha season, where that moment of time where it's live, accessible, people could play 98 experiences, including 22 with major brands, and the rest by the community and creators. Complete quest, explore, earn reward, climb the leaderboard, and based on that engagement receive reward at the end of the season so it's not too late you can get started right now play for free and still uh, have your chance of collecting and receiving rewards Uh, but ultimately we also understand that um, and we are working hard to put in play that any landowner could open their land to the public that comes that's coming early next year and also going to launch more and more events starting with halloween um, 
So there will be always something to do in the sandbox until it's fully open at all times. If I'm a, a creator and I've heard about the 95% uh, share rate and, and, and about uh, the success you've had with brands and seasons, like how does how does somebody get one of their experiences to be one of the next uh, alpha season experiences that people can play? How should they try and get on your uh, radar? Well, um, there's many ways to get into our radar. Uh, we have um, like sharing what you make make over social media. Like we see people on a daily basis sharing content and moments. That's very exciting. Game Jam and Overuse Contest, there's always a Game Jam, a competition uh, where you can submit based on certain thematic or brands. Uh, the Game Maker Fund, which is also uh, our initiative to support um, indies and the creativity of anyone. So we are not looking at like the, it's not like a publisher model per se where we are going to look at like the revenue, etc. We are more looking at the, how it is creative, how is it different, how it's showing an interesting experience for people to have. And that's never even, maybe that's never been seen anywhere before. Um, those are some of the ways. Also, like studios now, like I mentioned, over 200 studios exist in our ecosystem. They are building content for the brand or for themselves. And um, so it's, we, we are mapping that ecosystem. We are creating a, a program, a support, workshop, training, documentation to uh, help them along the way to become uh, even better at what they do to earn revenue, to, to, to make the best use of the platform and attract them for themselves, like build an audience um, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm hoping I'll have to keep my, my eyes out. This, this conversation makes me want to do a, a participate in the next game jam and try and make something <laughs> uh, in the sandbox. Do you have to, do you have to own land to be a creator? Can you just download the tools anyone and can make uh, download the tool the game maker for free um, start creating and you will need land only at the moment of time where you want to publish your creation and make it accessible to the public or submit it as a mm. concept to the game maker fund and if we like it and we feel that's potential like get a landing support for free got it and just you know to share because I think something I commonly hear if I'm talking to somebody who's skeptical of Web3 gaming, they'll say something like, where are the players? Like, I knew Axie Infinity blew up for a brief period of time in the Philippines, but where are the players? And just, I saw um, on LinkedIn the other day that you're in progress, Alpha Season 3, over 1.5 million 30 players in the past 30 days, right? That's that's a significant amount of people trying an early access version of a Web3 game. Uh, yes, we, and we have uh, over 200,000 monthly active users, an average of 40, 39,000, 40,000 on a daily basis. And they spend uh, like 20 to 30 mm -hmm. minutes a day uh, on average exploring. So... And we really one new experience a day. So I believe it. Those are healthy metrics uh, in terms of retention. Day fourteen is close to forty percent as well. So, in yep, exactly wow. like yes, day 14, when you know gaming, I, you, I you know, know this, this I, matters. I, like I, right, I, that kind of engagement. Yeah, I've had I've had 
I've had very financially successful games that have had lower day one retention than that. That's that's <sighs> a great metric. So people that shows as well. Like once people are engaged into something, and they also feel like their time is being valued, they earn rewards. But they don't just earn reward. They earn like creative skills. They have fun. They socialize with other. I think it's the basis for like creating a solid user base, a solid community. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what's you know what's next for the sandbox? What what does the uh, development roadmap look like? Or what are you excited to bring to your creators and players over the course of the next couple months well, to year? First, finishing the season in success and launching the new event. Second, um, launching the mobile version by next year. So, yes, because all our metrics are still with PC and Mac only. Uh, coming from mobile, I know mm-hmm. it's frustrating because, like, the distribution, the number of downloads, etc., like, it's different. That's coming next year. Um, new Game Maker that adds... a great amount of uh, like multiplayer features and um, visual effects in-game video and many things that the community was awaiting and pushing the graphic definition much higher so making more immersive experience uh, more expression from the avatar the way they dance the way they move the action they can do these are all the things that will make will give even more creative possibilities when you put that into the hands of the creators yeah, that all sounds really exciting. I'm uh, I'm gonna put it on my research list. Okay. I need to I need to make some uh, make some things with some we'll... voxels. Have maybe a two day game personal game. Sounds good. For yeah, some so fun. let's do one. Let's uh, engage the creator community uh, here to see. <laughs> I'm always excited. Um, and uh, and we have by the end of the year we'll resume land sales. We've sold about seventy percent of the map. We kept lands. Um, to be mm-hmm. sold progressively. Our goal is not just to sell all at once, but to progressively build that world by curating top brands into certain verticals like fashion or luxury or here like uh, Hollywood and the um, Californian celebrities. And that's coming um, by the end of the year. We're going to release a new region of the map where people could acquire them. And we, we heard the feedback from the community as well. We felt the frustration of uh, not being able to buy land in four seconds. So we are going to change the model of buying land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully that gives more fair chances to everyone to become a landowner with the idea that we want one land for one owner. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um I've I've learned so much about the sandbox today, and I can't let you go without also learning a little bit about the Blockchain Gaming Alliance, which you're the president of. Um, so, can you tell us what this organization is and and what its Absolutely. mission is? Absolutely. Um, so, the Blockchain Game Alliance was founded in 2018 uh, by essentially eight uh, core funding members that included Ubisoft, Consensus, uh, EverDreamSoft, Ultra, and um, I was not, Sandbox was not part initially of the founding member, but I became president of the Blockchain Game Alliance somewhere in 2019. The mission of the Blockchain Game Alliance is very simple, is like to showcase the possibilities of blockchain technology applied to video games. So through decentralization, through 
uh, NFTs through token to play to earn, play and earn, or um, governance, DAO, etc. All that technology is um, technology by nature, by itself, is neutral. So by b showcasing what people are making, explaining, educating, we could change uh, fully the mind of the gaming industry, which, as you probably know, uh, mm. has been not necessarily welcoming really well blockchain and NFTs and token uh, in general. <laughs> and and they, they did so, yeah. maybe for the right or wrong reason, but it's not important. What's important is like we felt like they didn't feel they were like games that we were creating. They didn't feel like there was a benefit or a real use case for users. So our role is to educate more about that, to promote the work that our members are doing, to show there is player, to show that there are creators behind and they are like creating serious product for them, for the players, and uh, educate a lot. And maybe you, you felt that, you, you said you started with Facebook gaming initially, I remember the video game industry really often mm. has a hard time to accept and understand new formats that maybe appeal to new players, different yeah. players. Like Facebook game, we are not meant for Call of Duty player or World of Warcraft or even console gamer. They were attracted like the mums of the world and the different audiences. And then they became, uh, they, they helped to grow the overall gamer market overall. So every new technology or, and platform has offered that opportunity um, and we needed someone to speak, to represent, to show the work of that industry. Got it. Yeah, it's funny. I um, just uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, um, the Animoca chairman uh, tweeted out an article I wrote over a decade ago on Kotaku that was called, I am not a cancer on the games industry that I wrote because of being attacked both by journalists and then by commenters on those articles about talking about free-to-play games. And he, it was so funny to see him resurrect a, a, an article from a decade ago and say, we've been here before. Everything that's happening to Web3 Gaming and the sentiment from game developers, from hardcore gamers, from, from game journalists, it's all, we've all heard this story before. And uh, it's not going to change that this new technology and new business model is changing the future of gaming. And, you know, I, I keep telling people it was probably 12 or 15 years between Farmville and Call of Duty be, having a free-to-play game on mobile. And it'll be roughly the same length of time in between Axie Infinity and when we see a blockchain-based Call of Duty game. <laughs> on our VR or AR headsets or whatever we're playing games mm -hmm. on in the future. Um, if, if someone's listening and they're like me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the early incubation stage on starting my new Web3 game studio. But if they're building games in Web3, why should they uh, be interested in, why should they become a member of the uh, game, blockchain game? Well, I think that's the perfect time to become a member. Why is like, because web free, unlike other industries, is all about like sharing and networking and becoming stronger as a community uh, grows and share and collaborate. I've very rarely saw that before, uh, except maybe in, in Finland where the game studio tended to share the best practice in free to play, but the rest was very competitive mm -hmm. market. 
So today you you're creating a new game into an industry. Many people are still uh, not understanding really well what you're doing, and maybe you have some difficulty or challenge to network with peers. So that's the first thing that the BGA offers, like you network, connecting with other industry peers working in the same space, BGA dinners, BGA meetups. We are here at any major gaming conference and non-gaming conference to connect our member, generate new business opportunity and collaboration for them. We provide also industry survey reports, uh, agnostic, neutral documentation for them to pick the technology as they need to learn and decide, oh, are we going to build on this blockchain, that blockchain? What are some of the challenges in terms of like designing your tokenomics? Uh, creating a, a, a good governance and DAO structure and so on. Those are like very legitimate questions that even if you have like a decade of experience in free-to-play game, new paradigms you have to learn or, or get the, the knowledge and know-how infused into you to, to hopefully make it uh, with the right approach to the market, with not a Web2 vision to it. Got it. Yeah, that sounds like a really valuable um, group to be a part of. Um, so I, I just have one question, one last question. You've been so generous with your time and I've learned a ton and I'm sure the audience has as well, uh, about the sandbox, uh, past, present, future. Um, I'll end it here, which is, you know, as we've both experienced, there are a lot of web three skeptics and doubters among our peers in the game development community. A lot of people, uh, with the decade or more experience, even in free to play that think, that this is not a thing, that it's not going to work, that it's a flash in the pan. Um, why should our industry peers who are skeptical of Web3 believe that it's going to transform the game industry? I, first thing is like, it's important to show by example, to lead by example. That's what we're working hard. We want to show like concretely the technology as a use case, and that use case is great, it's fun, it's engaging, it's growing the market, it's attracting different users. Um, and it's all thought for the benefit of the users. Believe it or not, but it's not like what we've been doing for 10 years in mobile free-to-play is also uh, the best business model of all. Like. Let me just walk a little bit back. Like, what is mobile free-to-play, essentially? It's like 3% of the users are buying via in-app purchase uh, content, pack of currency, pack of uh, characters, and so on. And the rest of the audience is being monetized for free. How do we convert more paying users? We make in-app promo, in-app marketing, it's called. So we always constantly try to optimize the sell point. Sometimes we say, oh, we, we put a, a pop-up that says, buy now, it's a 0 0.99 instead of 9.99. This is the best promotion of your life. It's now only one time, one time offer. offer. But this is such a lie, guys. Like, come on, you do that every day to every user. We know it. Don't even lie to the face of the user and pretend it's not. And this is just one of the little things that we got accustomed in, into thinking that it was okay. It's very disrespectful to the player, even if we bring them fun, etc., to promote that way. It's also like the same content. It's we try different price strategy based on like the user patterns and so on. The same way we collect, we allow the web two platform such as Facebook or Google to collect the data of our players 
so we can better target them by paying the ads back to those platforms. So we're losing part of our revenue to give it back to the platform to acquire new users that hopefully 3% of them are going to monetize again. Nobody likes ads and we're giving up the revenue and the time we spent back to the platform who are the big winner into that problem. So I feel like there is yeah, there could be a better model uh, where that benefit both the creators, the developers and the players. That's what we're looking to do. Uh, and at least, I don't know if the, what you've seen in Play to Earn is a final business model. Far from it. It's just first iteration and it's going to keep maturing, evolving. And we need smart people who share that ethos that we want players to benefit as they engage, to own their assets, to have the possibility, to have the choice, at least, to take their asset from one game to another. This is called interoperability. It didn't even exist before, but why? It's just the technology didn't allow so. It, was, it's not, it doesn't mean that because it didn't exist or it was not possible before, that it was right. It's just it, it, like we all live in a world where users didn't own their digital asset, even though they paid real money for it. To me, it's not okay. Like true digital ownership of your uh, asset is essential. It should be a fundamental right, even in a digital world. That's a great answer. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great episode, and I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing with us all. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.